All right, you guys can be seated. Uh, I'm here to introduce to you our, uh, our pastor for this morning, our preacher for this morning, a good friend of, uh, of the, our church and uh, of Chris, our lead pastor, and mine as well. Uh, his name is Josh Pazma. This is, I think, his fourth time preaching here. So, um, yeah, we've, we've heard from him a lot. Hopefully you recognize his face. And I uh, just really love his heart for the Lord. And um, he serves over in Kennewick, Washington at Crossview Church. And uh, they have a, a congregation over there. And so every so often we get them away from the Tri-Cities to come and, and preach and serve us. Um, so we're really excited for that. If you guys just give it up and give a warm welcome to Josh Pazma. Good morning, church. So good to see you guys. Hey, a little bit about uh, us. We have four children. We also have nine, no, eight chickens. We have nine puppies. Uh, we have two cats. Uh, it's incredible. Um, but we, yeah, two boys and two girls. And I want to tell you guys something. Um, there's, there's a fierce love for my, my children. Um, there's a, a protective spirit, you know, that I, I have for them. And my, my aim and prayer is that tonight you'd have a protective heart for the church of God. Because what we're going to study today, you're going to see that, that Paul had a heart like a father has for a daughter. He has for the church. He's protective of it. He's not just like loosey-goosey, well, whatever. He has a heart that cares. And so I want to kick off with, with something pretty fierce. It says, and, and it's a truth, the, the devil doesn't seem to, um, like, like, it seems to me that the devil would rather um, go to church to disrupt the truth than he would to go to the bar to disrupt the drunk. Let me say that again. The devil doesn't go to the bar to disrupt a drunk as much as he'd rather go to the church to disrupt the truth. That, that should hit you. That, that, that should, uh, you know, the devil knows he can't steal our salvation. He can't remove our adoption. Praise God for that. But he sure does try to cause confusion. He wants to come in and disrupt truth. He wants to dis steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to discourage you. If he can disrupt what's going in here, it, that's, that's way greater than going to, to a bar down the street to disrupt the drunks in there. He wants to go after you. He wants to cause division and confusion discouragement a big problem we face you can see this on the screen is putting up with whatever anyone tells you and believing believing we can be di divided in our devotion in other words like oh i can i can I, you know on sunday for an hour i can be you know devoted to jesus somewhat kind of glance at the cross and then the rest of the week be divided to what I, divided to my devices, divided to whatever I want, divided to uh, money, you know, uh, devoted, excuse me, devoted to money, devoted to lustful urges, devoted to, to this world's power and systems. The Apostle Paul gets more specific in what this deadly seduction includes, and it's in 2 Corinthians 11 of verse 4. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. Here in this verse, let's dissect this for a moment. We see um, a, a, a different Jesus, in other words, a, a fake Savior. They're fine to, uh, well, you know what, it's, it's, it has a... It looks like a savior, it's fine. Uh, a, a different spirit, it says. In other words, a fake guide. 
What is it in your life that is a, is a false guide? It, it's a false narrative. The, another one, a di- the, the last one, it says a different gospel. In other words, a fake and false salvation. It should break our heart and, and give us a, a godly anger and jealousy for those that are, that are falling away, those that are, uh, their hearts tend to wander, and even our own heart that has a propensity to, to chase after other things uh, that, that aren't really Christ, that aren't really the gospel. So here is a, a big, glaring, counterfeit Christ today. He's known as liberal Jesus. He's seen as a great man. It's, it's, it's seeing Jesus as a great man. It's seeing Jesus as a great teacher, but not God, not Savior. When I, when I say liberal, I'm talking about theologically liberal. I'm not talking about politically, although it can. Okay, I'm not getting into that. Anyways, so... I don't want to lose any of you right there. This is, this is a theologically liberal Jesus. He's got the long hair that looks cool, like Fabio, whatever. He's got nice, you know, slippers and sandals, some cupcakes for you. And, and he's just, he's a great teacher. He's a nifty little Jesus carpenter guy, but he's not really, uh, he's, he's not deity. He's not savior. He, he's not the one that can melt your heart of stone through the power of the spirit, like and put his spirit in you. He's not, he's just, man, he's the hippy, zippy, dippy, baloney Jesus. It's, it's a fake liberal counterfeit Jesus. And I'm, I'm here to tell you what is true in here. It's, it's so true that, that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the alpha and the omega, the firstborn over creation. Amen. I hope this, this encourages you. If Jesus isn't also God, he can't be our Savior. And that's why the hypostatic union, that he's fully man and fully God, it's an incredible truth. So um, we're going to read today's passage and see how the truth of God's gospel should motivate us to undivided devotion. In fact, if you want to write this down, his motivation for our salvation should empower our devotion. If you want to more simply put his devotion for our salvation should make us a devoted people. So let's turn our Bibles. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And over in Kennewick, uh, again at Crossview, this is what we've been preaching. My favorite place to preach is in the Franklin County Jail. Uh, I, I got to see, when I preached this sermon, a couple, by God's grace, a couple men were saved. And even uh, a guy that was sitting in the front row, he was like, hey, can I get a Koran or, or whatever? And the other chaplain was like, hey, we, I'm trying to get you that or whatever. And he's like, can I have a kosher meal? And by the end of the message, he was like, hey, can I visit Crossview? So cool. Does that get you excited? I, I, I hope you know that the gospel is alive, it's living and active. And so I pray that you wouldn't just be a student of the word that just sits there and listens like I'm reading a history book, but that you would listen for the spirit to move in your heart and also challenge you in the ways you have currently a divided heart, a divided devotion. Now, I would, I would argue, in fact, it says there's none righteous, no, that one, that all of us are divided apart from the spirit working in us. Every single one of us are tangled up. Our hearts are t- a tangled mess if we don't let the Spirit of God move. So here it is. Here it is. L- l- I pray the Spirit moves in you as you read this. Uh, I-, I hope you will put up with me a little, uh, a little more of my foolishness. And this is out of the NLT translation. Uh, he's, he's using a little sarcasm, almost like a dad would, you know, kid with his kids. Like, hey, I hope you can 
put up with me a little bit more before bedtime. I'm going to be a little goofy here for a second, a little, but, but he's being very serious. He's just, he's trying to get their attention. Please bear with me, he says, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve, you know, Adam and Eve, right in the garden, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, right? Back in Genesis, we know that story. Verse 4, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe, but I don't consider myself inferior to any, in any way to these superior apostles. Again, he's using sarcasm. He doesn't see them as super apostles or like Avengers or something. He's, he, he's kidding there, but who teach such things I may, be, I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I am not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions should, so I could serve you at no cost. So he's like a pastor that's coming in. He's preaching and he's not taking up an offering, and he's not saying that that's a good thing. He's like, he's like you guys are, <laughs> I, I would cause you to stumble in that way, like you're, you're, you're weak, and so these other strong, mature churches actually paid my, my way to help minister to you, and he's not saying that, that, he's like, come on guys, we need to step up here, and then he says, so I could serve you at no cost, and when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. Who are the ones that helped him? It says right here, another church. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. Some people take this verse out of context and they're like, oh, the, this pastor didn't get paid. I, you know, we, we should never take up an offering or n never do that. Um, no, we should, we should support those and there's lots of scripture on that. And he's saying the Macedonian church, those guys helped yeah, um, the church of Corinth. I have never been a burden to you and I never will be as surely as the truth of Christ is in me. No one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you. God knows that I do, but I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. That's the super apostles that he's talking about, okay? Uh, these people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get pun the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in this place, move in our heart. Lord, we need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We pray, Lord, that, that through you, you do a work in us, that in you we can do all things through Christ, all things through you, Lord, that we would walk in your spirit, walk in your truth, and that we would be a changed people in our actions, not just with our mouth, but in our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I want to give you um, some historical background on the Church of Corinth. This is in present-day Greece. Uh, this is in Europe, and uh, this is a church mostly composed of Gentiles. These are 
non-Jews. Uh, I, a, a, a few years ago, I took a DNA test, and it said, you know, I was, you know, Dutch and Irish and German, and then I looked at the bottom, and I was like, a little bit Jewish, and I was like, I made the team, yeah, the rest of you, no, but this is not a DNA test, it's not like, well, are you a Jew, or, you know, well, what happened is this Gentile, predominant Gentile church is, is like, just enamored with the gospel, they're so excited, they're not used to church, they're just like, yes, this is awesome, and then these Judaizers come in, these super apostles come in, they're like, we know the Bible, we're incredible, let me tell you, there, it, almost like a spiritual patri patronizing going on, we know the law really well, and you should too, you should, you should, uh, and again, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he, they were saying, hey, you know what, you need to take the law, which is like an MRI or an x-ray machine, and yeah, that's your physician, you, you need your salvation, that, how stupid would that be if you went in, for, how many have got an MRI before, can you raise your hand, yeah, how many got claustrophobic while you were in the tube? Okay, one brave person, okay. I, I did too. I was like, oh, just hold still. You know? Right, the MRI, it checks things. An x-ray, it checks things. The law of God, it checks things. Show you that you're a, a lying, thieving, adultery heart, right? I mean, it, it measures you. It shows you you're a sinner. That's the law. How silly would it be if your physician's like, hey, yeah, so you, th this showed you that your bone is broken. And uh, yeah, that's going to be your salvation. That's going to be your healing. Well, doctors, don't you want to do surgery or set my bone? No, you're good to go. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Would you like an x-ray to take home for your kids? Yeah. So do you see how silly that is? These Judaizers are like, the law is your salvation. Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus something. Jesus plus your works. The big idea of this passage, and you can see it here's the proposition uh, which is a truth about God married to an action, that's what a proposition is, is because we have been promised to Christ, right? We've been promised to Christ, we should have undivided devotion. I remember sitting down 21 years ago, we've been married 20 years, this is my wife, and I remember uh, being engaged, I think we were engaged 10 months, right? 10 months, felt like 10 years, but anyways, I remember sitting down with my father-in-law, uh, and I wanted to ask his permission to marry his daughter, and he, and I remember him saying, could we go to the back of the house, and I was like, is, it, is he cleaning his gun back, what's back there, like what's back behind the house, but right, like Paul is, is promising, promising the bride, the church, to a groom who is Christ. And I, I still remember when the, the doors opened and the music, I, all of a sudden I couldn't hear the music, all of a sudden I couldn't see the rest of the church. It was in Richland where we got married, and I remember when my eyes met my bride's eyes, it was incredible. Everything stopped, absolutely wrecked my heart. It was, it was beautiful. We should have that kind of heart that longs to see the visible image, anticipate seeing the visible image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation, that we should have that heart. And friends, I'm telling you, if you just pull your bootstraps of religion up, and, oh, I got this, I'm ready for church, here we go, you will fail, it, you will wane, you will wear out. You need the living God to, and, and his gospel, his devotion for your salvation, that to absolutely wreck your and rebuild your heart. 
Otherwise, you are just getting all dressed up and gussied up for nothing. 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I fear that somehow your pure, does it say perfect devotion? Does it say perfect? No, pure. This means you are trusting in the one who is perfect. You are tr- you're trusting in his precious work that the blood of Jesus Christ has not only washed away your sin, not only has covered your sin, but his righteousness becomes your righteousness that when God the Father looks at you, he sees his son alive in you. That is devotion to you that should make us a devoted people, undivided, pure, undivided devotion to Christ. And, but there's a worry of a corruption. It says, that well, I'm worried. I fear, he says, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. If you want to write down corrupted, here's a couple synonyms. Corrupted would be like tainted, perverted, poisoned, twisted, a little bit true. Jesus plus works. Jesus plus your lust. Jesus plus whatever it is. You can, I, I encourage you to take a picture of this next thing on the screen and post it. You're going to hear me talk about the phone a little bit later. Just remember, the phone can be good. It can be bad. Like th- I would encourage you, th- this thing has rocked me. The father of lies wants to destroy life and promote lies. The father of life wants to promote life and destroy lies. It's a complete reversal. But what literally do you see on media? What do you literally see being fed to you? The father of lies. It's like literally... It is, oh, you want to destroy life? You want to promote lies? Yes, that's the world. The world wants to do this. The father of life wants to promote life. In fact, if you want to promote life, look out. Death threats are coming. Look out. People, they, how could you be so closed-minded? Why would you want to promote life and life abundantly? Why would you want to destroy lies? How could you be so hateful and want to destroy lies? Do, do you see The world will say that. How could you be so mean? You want to destroy that? That's a great thing. When you, in actuality, know it's a lie, a false narrative. God wants to use the church, the bride of Christ, to promote life. And friends, I want to tell you, I want you to almost imagine, this is like the Seattle Seahawks locker room. We're going out on the field. And some of you are like, I I, I just want to, I went to church, I played. That would be like the Seahawks showing up to the locker room getting all dressed up, getting their pads on, hearing some plays, and then patting each other on the shoulder pads. And man, what a great game. And then getting your pads off, putting it in the locker, and never stepping foot on the field. But man, you played football in that locker room for one hour. Woo! Right? Be the church. God wants to use you. Not just the leader. Like, you're like, well... You know, Matt, Nickel, and the other, and Pastor Chris, and man, we're, we, are the, we are your 12th man. You got it, buddy. Go get it. We'll be here for the locker room talk. How does, how does that go? That's a weak football team. But man, we're the 12th man. We're going to cheer you up. Man, you were singing. But you know what? I was singing with you, buddy. I was clapping. I mean, that was awesome. But how silly would it be if we all just stood there and watched our man sing here? You played the bass. Great. The drummer, oh, we have to be the church. We're a part of it. We don't watch them. We are a part of them. We don't watch Chris preach or Matt preach. 
We are preaching throughout the week. We're walking across the room in our office. We're walking across the street. We're, we're come on, living differently. We're in gospel community. We are the vibrant bride of Christ, pure, undivided, not just like, well, you get one hour, I'll get dressed up and play some football for one hour. I'll play church for one hour. Paul is like a father that has been training and discipling his daughter, the church. Now, is, is it literally biologically his daughter? No, that's not possible. But you, you get what I'm saying. This is a metaphor. He says, I am like a father. I will prove it to you with the Bible so you don't think I'm just using some nifty analogy. It's right here. 1 Corinthians 4 and 15. Look on the Sky Bible. It's up there. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Some of you are just seeing me for the first time. Guess what? Through the gospel, we're literally family. You just met a brother that you didn't know you had. Right? You stuck with me, sorry. <laughs> right? Isn't that awesome? You're my sister in Christ. You're my brother. You're my crazy aunt in the back. Yeah, she's talking to me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm leaving. <laughs> Look at what kind of heart Paul has. He is, he, again, he's a very concerned father. Check it out, 2 Corinthians eleven two. 2. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband. Paul has a godly jealousy for the church, much like David had a jealousy for Israel. Psalm 69, 9. Passion for your house has consumed me. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This is David talking. Look at it. Passion for your house has consumed me. I want to ask you, when's the last time you let that kind of, uh, of God's heart consume your heart? Can we talk about the elephant in the room? Many of us, post-pandemic, are still stuck in the pandemic. And we're like, I ain't going to let anything bother me again. I'm staying off the news, which actually could be good. <laughs> but how many, of in, how many of us have insulated ourselves? You know, when someone's like, Al, Al and Linda, two of the coolest people, you know, if they're like, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? And you're like, yeah, yeah, what I'm going to do, Al, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to check with my wife, okay? Yeah, thank you so much. I'll pray about that, which is a no. Right? Boy, we pray about it. We, we smile. Thank you for the invite. That's, I see you. Thank you. But we don't do community. Many of us are afraid of community. We, we can handle the one-hour locker room talk. We ain't going to play football. We, we didn't just get tackled. We got pummeled the last time we put pads on. Right? Some of you are like, I don't get football. What are you talking about? <laughs> As a church... Sometimes we're an army that shoot our own wounded. Sometimes we're an army that, that ain't playing so nice. I told you in the beginning, the devil is not in the bar trying to disrupt the drunk. He is trying to disrupt truth in here. And you have to have a protective heart. Praying. Aggressively praying on your knees, pleading for the God of the universe to consume your heart with his heart that you would have a godly jealousy. Nahum 1-2, the Lord is jealous, is a jealous God filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and countless 
uh, or continues to rage against his enemies. And we see the source of his anger. Uh, Psalm 78, 58, they angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. Here we see God's heart towards a rebellious, divided Israel. They were putting other things in the place of God. What is your functional idol? What is it that has been pulling at you? I've been seeing a counselor for five years just to help. help. And it used to be weird if a pastor saw a counselor like, geez, what's wrong with that pastor? <laughs> Let's pray for him. Now I think it's weird if your pastor doesn't see a counselor. I think everyone and every, everyone should have a, a counselor. But, but uh, I, I just was, I was frustrated and I, I felt my anger starting to go up a couple weeks ago because I found, I just wanted to see, uh, or I, I saw an ear, nose and throat doctor. I just wanted to get my allergies taken care of and they're like, yeah, you got to do an allergy test. You just got to drive two and a half hours that way to Spokane. Uh, again, I, I'm in Tri-City, so not, not from here. You track with thing. So you just got to go to Spokane for that test. Your insurance requires that you go to Spokane. And I was like, well, no, I'll self-pay. I'll, I, I'd, I'd like to do it here in Tri-City, you know? No, no, you can't do that. You got to go to Spokane. So I was pretty frustrated, pretty angry that I had to go to Spokane. And, and yet... Uh, plus, I, I was also a little nervous about like getting poked a bunch. I heard it, it didn't hurt, but again, my nickname is Pass Out Pasma. My last name's Pasma, so I was just like, you know, needles don't go well with me. I'm gonna probably pass out. Like, what's gonna happen? And I remember um, this. <coughs> I was working on this sermon, and I was like, here is a chance, Lord, work in my heart, help me to minister to the person stabbing me. No, I'm kidding. But she's so she's she's poking me um, in my arm and. And I just said, like, hey, have you, by the way, have you found a church? And she goes, and she about fell over. She was like, I just moved here from Louisiana. How did you know I needed, I, I needed to be asked that question. Thank you so much. And I said, well, I haven't even told you about, like, what? she thought I was, like, a pastor in town. I'm like, I'm, I'm actually a pastor from out of town. But ironically, th this, this is cool. I didn't plan for this. Literally, the church I was recommending to this lady in Spokane, that dude, that, that is the pastor of that church, his name's Zach, who pastors is called The Rock Church, is preaching at my church so I could be with you guys. And so she's like, I'm checking it out. This is awesome. Oh, my gosh. She was like just lit up. How did you know I needed to be invited? Like, this is great. Guys, be the pure, undivided it doesn't mean perfect. Guys, I was an angry preacher. I was an angry pastor that was grumpy and almost woozy a little bit from the needles and was like, no, I need, in my weakness, God is strong. I didn't in invite this lady. And man, I came out of there, like, excited. Uh, not because I'm, uh, I'm, I also found I'm not allergic to, to cats or dogs. And I, I mean, or my wife. I, I was like, yes, this is great. This is great. But also that lady hopefully found a church. Be, it, it feels, I, did you know you're wired for pleasure? I mean, your, your tongue has taste buds on it because your creator cares about you enjoying pleasure. It's just your pleasure is not strong enough. Many of our pleasures are for the things of this world and they're weak. Like there's nothing greater than the power of God coursing through your veins or, or, you know, in, in a sense where you were like, yes, God is alive. God is using me. And this is amazing. He's changing my heart's affections. And the people around me, I'm seeing wind get put in their sails. They're getting excited. 
I want to be honest about just some things that try to come after us enjoying God. And there are three, it's, it's, I'm going to call this the tale of three screens. And I got this from, uh, I put it in my own words, but John Tyson in his um, incredible book on the intentional father uh, sent this. And I just, just was like, I got I to gotta share this. But these are three screens that will war for your devotion that seem good, but they are they are not Jesus. They are not the gospel. They are not the church. They don't. Pre- you need to hear this. So these are three deadly adv- uh, adversaries. Many think the three deadly adversaries I'm going to share is, you know, Russia, COVID and murder hornets. We, we did find some murder hornets in Tri-Cities, but please still come visit us. But anyways, um, <clears throat> I killed two uh, a couple weeks ago. But anyways, here's the three deadly adversaries. The smartphone screen, the TV screen, and the windshield. According to Michael Easter in his book, The Comfort Crisis, the average American touches their phone 2,617 times, which is also why it's one of the dirtiest devices. You need to clean that regularly. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, Anyways, um, that's each day and spends two hours and 30 minutes staring at that little black box. Power users, that's what they, a.k.a. teenagers, um, touch their phones twice as much as that. Almost twice as much as that. And I, I want to be the first to admit, again, my, my title is lead pastor. I tell people it's like lead repenter is what it really should be called. But, uh, my, my wife and I, I this, I, I'd love to say like, oh, this one time this happened. But no, it's, it's happened. Um, it's getting better. But I'll, I'll find myself, I'm talking with my wife. And then I get a little ding on that phone. And at first I'm like, no, I'm not going to. Fine. And then I get another ding. And I'm still looking at Laura. Eyes are locked like laser beams. You know, just locked in. Uh-huh. Here's another ding. I start sweating. Uh-huh. The ding. I just got to pick it up. Don't touch it. No, 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 no. And then I grab it. J- just hold on a second real quick. And like uh, Laura just is like, okay. He's, he's not coming back for like 10 minutes. But in my heart, in my heart, it's authentic. Hook me up to a lie detector. I'm thinking, I'm just going to spend 10 seconds. Just 10 seconds. Hmm? Sucks us in. Smartphones. You want to write this down? It's, it's a great theological principle. It's very long. Smartphones make us dumb clones. Okay, there we go. Not only is, is screen time dangerous, by the way, Laura, my screen time was down 15%. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Now, do you guys get those? Those little, okay. Does anyone want to tell us if it was? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> See, the Judaizers would be like, who's the great Christian whose screen time was down? Huh? Huh? Okay, that's, it's not about works, but we do want to let God and his gospel work out so that we would be different. But okay, let's keep going. So, screen time can be dangerous, um, but, but it's what is feeding us on that screen time. Many times it is a false narrative, a false gospel, a false hope that grabs your eye and you begin to chase it like a rabbit hole, like Alice in the rabbit hole, you chase it. That, so that's the, the, the smartphone. The, the second one is the, the TV screen. John Tyson says this, one study revealed that the typical Netflix user in the U.S. watches 
3.2 hours of Netflix a day. Even if you are below that national average, the formative effect of being spoon-fed the narratives, values, and plot lines of the, of the world begins to shape your mind and imagination, making you more and more divided in your devotion to God. Shows today are designed to be addictive. I remember like Office, The Office, great, great show, fantastic. I remember like being able to like just binge watch a few episodes, but I'm just like, I'm just going to watch a few. And you're like, oh, I'm watching more and more. It's just like, it is, since that show, it's like things, everything's on steroids. Like everything is so incredibly addictive. You want to be careful and not be like, I got this. Like the Judaizers, I got this. I have self-control. Really? It says, none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us in this room have a tangled, divided heart until we let Christ have it. And, and I'm going to tell you, daily we ne need him to wreck and rebuild our heart. Okay, the last one I'm going to talk about is the windshield, uh, right? No more working from home. You know, COVID, some of you are like, thank you, COVID, to get to work from home. Now it's like, back to work. And you got, you got a, you know, a huge commute. According to the Census Bureau, the national average uh, commute time in the U.S. is 26.6 minutes. That means as a whole, the daily average, that's about 53.2 minutes, about an hour. I want to challenge you, have your commute, turn your commute, turn your car into a church on wheels. Like, are you listening to the word of God? Are you praying for your family? Are you praying for the church out loud? Or do you allow these, the tale of three screens to, to cause distraction, escapism, and, and, and just pull you away? As we close, I want to share this. The, the big idea of this passage, one more time, is because we have been promised to Christ, we should have undivided devotion. Again, his, his devotion for our salvation should fuel our motivation for, for him. I, I want to challenge you. Don't just talk about the you know, things that are pulling at you. Actually, have accountability. Say, like, man, I'm going to tuck my phone in for bed. It's got a little binky and a nightlight. I'm going to just, its own nightlight. And I'm going to tuck it in downstairs. I sleep upstairs. My wife and I sleep upstairs. We're, we're going to just have a, a 1980s alarm clock. You know, 80s are cool. Top Gun's back. Why can't alarm clocks be cool? Uh, you know, like old school. Some of you are like, I need my phone for an alarm clock. No, let's, let's maybe tuck those, those bad boys into, into bed. Let's not bring our phones to the dinner table. Let's actually have some control. But again, the Judaizers would be like, next week, all right, whose screen time was down? Who put their phones to bed? No, it's out of the precious work of Jesus moving in us that we want to actually not be divided and we want to not be divisive and we want to take our devices and go, I need, I need to change. I want to change so I can see the grace of God, not these things that are pulling at me. My wife encouraged me. We, our oldest is 14, and this will be my last story. He uh, just has a, has a heart for Jesus. He, he actually plays bass guitar on our worship team, and uh, he's playing football. Uh, he's doing two-a-days, uh, so they just started tackling yesterday, and it's, it's going well. But I just, I, I, my, my wife was like, hey, wh why don't you watch the movie Risen with your son? I think that could be really good. It came out like four or five years ago. Great movie. Again, it's just called Risen, like Christ is risen. So we, we watched it, and there's this scene 
where Jesus comes over to this leper, and, and actually before he comes over to the leper, the, these people are just like kissing him and yelling at him to get away, and Jesus comes over and, and just envelops him, like hugs him, and all you could see before Jesus comes over to hug him is the side of his face. You can see these blisters, and you see like this hood, and you just see blisters. You don't see his face, and then Jesus hugs him, and then you don't see his face, and he's walk, uh, the leper's walking this way. Jesus has is, is got a smile on his face, and you see Jesus' face. He's walking towards the disciples, and again, cinematography, it's so incredible. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps right now, because but I was frustrated. I'm like, I want to see the leper's face. Instead, you saw Jesus' face, and the the leper's walking away, and then the leper, just in the moment you think he's not going to turn around, you see his hands, and there's nothing on it, and then you see him look at the disciples, and his face has no more leprosy. And I began crying in that moment, and my son asked me, why are you crying, Dad? And I said, because I am that leper. I was that leper, and daily my heart has leprosy. If you look at the definition of leprosy, it means to not feel any, like you step on a nail, you don't feel it because your skin, the nerve endings in your skin can't feel it. Apart from Jesus, your heart has leprosy, every single one of us, and we need Jesus to touch our heart and wreck and rebuild it and make it pure, not out of anything we've done, but out of Jesus enveloping us, hugging us, embracing us. He's died for us. He's risen for us. He lives in us. This is great news. Romans 12.1, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I want you to bow your heads. Lord, help us to change. In fact, church, I, I want to challenge you even, even right now. Who is ready, with, with every head bowed and eye cl eyes, eyes closed, who is ready to let Jesus empower their devotion? Who's ready to be real about a need for change? In fact, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to heaven and say, I need change, but don't raise it yet. I, I, wanna, I want you to count the cost. I want you to get real and honest with the Lord. Who needs to repent? Who, who's in a, in a place where you have ha you've let distraction grab you? You've had a divided heart. You've let fear be your embrace. You have flirted with sin in different ways. And I, again, I, I pray that it's not out of a flash of emotion that you raise your hand, but truly out of your heart's devotion to him that you want to live differently. You want to stand on the rock of Jesus Christ and say, I, I need, I, lately I've had... Um, a divided heart. Lately, I have been uh, not as devoted as, as I want to be, and I, I want to let Jesus grab me. Would you, would you raise your hand and just say, Jesus, help me. Come on. Lift those hands. Yes. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. You put your hands down. Jesus, thank you for moving today in hearts. Help us. Help us, especially those that are just crying out, saying, Lord, change us. Help us repent to you. Lord, you are so good. Thank you for your church. Thank you that Sunday is a celebration of church happening throughout the week, that we'd want to be devoted to you come Monday, 
and the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.